1: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
2: the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production
0: of the Business Podcast. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling. Of course, joining me is my co-host, the wizard himself, Mr. Lavi
2: Margolin. Lavi, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, a very special day, a unique podcast today. Actually, our first Double guests, because they are the uh, the dream team, the creative dream team, um, welcoming Leo Chu and Eric Garcia, who um, developed Disney's Ultraviolet and Black Scorpion, but so much more than that. Um, welcome, uh, Eric and Leo.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank it's you really... very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here.
2: So we'll start off
0: with uh, Leo, and then we'll, we'll go to Eric too, just Absolutely. so we don't have any any confusion of going, you know, back and forth. Have you both answer at the same time? So, exactly. where'd you guys grow up, and were you wrestling fans? Like, like it, that ah. always to me. It's always like you know, if you grew up in New York, you're probably a WWF fan. So, like, where'd you grow up, and were you wrestling fans?
3: You know, I grew up in Northern California in a small university town called Davis. Uh, there's like a UC there, and I was a wrestling fan. I will say, um, my brother, my little brother was the huge wrestling fan. So I basically watched all the wrestling with him because he was like super, super into it. Um, when we were kids, I would say we were more sort of WWE, uh, Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Roddy Piper era type <laughs> kids. You know, sort of that, uh, that great sort of golden age of it. Um, and, you know, I got introduced to kind of Lucha Libre wrestling sort of uh, through my dad's friends uh, in the area uh my uncle jesse in particular who was more like a family friend than like a you know a blood uncle um but yeah that's that's kind of how i got introduced to it and we we ended up collecting a lot of wrestling stuff and we had a lot of action figures and little cards like player
0: or wrestler cards that were kind of popular at the time if you still have those figures they might be worth some money
3: you know what um they're at my mom's house i sure hope she still has them i have to find them she uh I was just there for Mother's Day. Things and, are yeah.
4: actually immaculately preserved up there. I think that there are. There's good Star Wars stuff. There's yeah. great stuff. Whoa. Well, we,
3: didn't have a, we did not have a lot of money growing up. So whenever we got something, we were very, very precious with it. And we kept all the original packaging. And if we, after we played with stuff, we put things back. So if it's there, it's all in the original packaging in a box somewhere in the garage.
0: How about you, Eric? Where did you kind of grow up? And where were you, like, were you a big wrestling fan?
4: I am a proud son of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, However, you know, I mean, wrestling was not that, I was aware of it, but it wasn't really a big thing, believe it or not, in Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh, or at least, you know, in my like group, Um, you know, I mean, definitely when I went to college in the center of the state, you know, I mean, the, the Eastern side of the state in Jersey and all that kind of stuff had a lot more fans, you know, from my perspective, but uh, yeah, it wasn't something that I was just aware of it, but it's not something that we, we watched a lot of.
0: So, basically, thinking like, okay, if you like the business, you know, you know what I mean. Like, if you're a fan of the business, do you want to work on something for wrestling? So, let's go back to Leo. Like, how do you kind of get involved or think of the the concept, or how does this kind of thing really maturate, if you will?
3: Oh, like how does a project like this come about? Yes, yes, yep. Well, I would say this one was actually pretty unique because um, the uh, the project the original origins of it actually came through Disney and, uh, Disney uh, was looking for showrunners on the project. Right. And, and when we started getting involved in it, um, there was a different uh, lead attached to the project, uh, Blue Demon, uh, who's like a very, very famous, huge, uh, huge yep. star, yep. um, Blue Demon Jr. Yeah, exactly. I should yes, Blue Demon Jr. I should make very Yes. It very clear. Yes, 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 was yes. attached, to, uh, attached to the project. Um, and then as we got involved in it, you know, some things happened. He had to leave the project. Uh, Disney wanted a lot of changes. Uh, we redeveloped the whole thing um, and then ended up kind of finding this real blend sort of between Lucha Libre and superhero and just finding what the parallels of that is and just sort of culturally and um, sort of uh, what's the word? language-wise. So sort of like as a story language and also as a visual language, how there were a lot of overlaps um, and sort of kind of building it out that way. Um, But we knew at the core of it, because it was a Disney project, um, based on everything that we do, we always like things to be very elevated. We always have this horrible phrase, which is uh, we want things to be best in class. Right. So it's like if we're going to make a family show for Disney, like we want it to be the best it can be, you know. And so that means it's, you know, four quadrant viewing, which means the kids can watch it with the parents. Um, It's not going to be annoying to like parents when they watch it. You know, it's something that they're invested in. So there are adult characters, there's kids' characters. Um, but at the core of it, it's a coming-of-age story about this girl who gets a magical YouTube gray mask and the relationship she developed with her estranged uncle.
0: Eric, as far as, like, getting this thing together, getting the concept together, I know we, Blue Demon Jr. obviously was originally supposed to be part of it. But how do you kind of shape it, change it, and make it your own?
4: Well, that's a uh, that's a big question. I mean, you know, I think you always have to dig it, like what Leah was saying about how we approach our work in the best in class kind of thing, you know, and that's just, that's really just in our approach. You know what I mean? We want our work to matter and we want to, you know, use our skills in the best possible way. And so, you know, Lucha Libre, because it has such a um, cultural, you know, fan base, you know, love affair. And there's, you know, there's a lot of historical roots to it. And so we wanted to kind of like, and I'm a big, um, uh, you know, not, not fan, I guess fan, but it's like, you know, I like to study, you know, Mexican history. I like to study ancient history. I like to study like those Aztecs and the Olmecs and Toltecs and stuff like that. And so it's like, I like to see where these threads of culture come through. You know what I mean? And where they kind of manifest in kind of the modern sense. And so in that, you know, ancient Mexico, there's a lot of masks. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, it, it, and it was very clear to me that it was informing you know what I mean? The Lucha Libre, uh, you know, you know, ethos, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know what I mean? Because it's like it's an affinity that the culture has, you know what I mean? And people were very much like uh, and, and plus also you, you like Mexico is a unique civilization. And so like you have somebody like El Santo, you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, as a as a uh, um, as a figure, you know, what I mean, in their pantheon of, of wrestlers. And so it's just, like, all these little elements and how the costumes are put together and, and uh, you know, the, the, the Greco-Roman wrestling of it all. And so it's just, like, all those things are super interesting. So, you know, you find, to make it your own, you find what you're passionate about. Like, what? How, how can you connect, you know what I mean, to the thing? And that's what it really was for me because, you know, like I said, I didn't, you know, grow up with wrestling per se. You know what I mean? But in this particular world, it's like, oh, I get it. So this cultural phenomenon from in Mexico from, like, the thirties and on, you know what I mean? It's just like, was their popular culture and their movies. And so um, that's what really kind of turned me on to it. And then it's just like, and then, you know, because we also, because since we, you know, enjoy superheroes, not just in America and just my own life, you know what I mean? So it's like, how can you create that fusion? You know what I mean? Together and to tell a compelling story. You know what I mean? In this sense, it was for for Disney. And, you know, they had this young actress, Scarlett Estevez, who's amazing. And so, like, putting those things together, it's just like, oh, what does it mean for her when she gets her magical mask? You know what I mean? And then we, when we created the uncle character, it's like, you know, who was he? And why was it important to him? Or why was it, uh, you know, why, um, you know, what's his connection, you know what I mean, to the mm-hmm. wrestling world?
3: Yeah, I mean, something that we really like to do in our projects is um, infusing it sort of with world culture, um, and or history a lot of times. We love working uh, in a genre, but the genre really becomes like a framework to tell the emotional character stories that are happening in it. Um, you know, uh, we like stories that have a lot of heart, uh, You know, that deliver some sort of emotional punch, uh, and also comedy and humor. We approach things with a lot of comedy and humor. And I think based on what Eric was saying, you know, like it was very interesting because he got very into the mass research of it all. And uh, one of the things that we discovered is that you know, in the ancient um, cultural masks, like with the Aztecs and stuff, a lot of them, uh, there's a lot of iconography and symbolism that is supposed to imbue the wearer with powers, right? And so we're like, oh, that's really interesting because a lot of the same iconography and symbolism is in Lucha Libre costumes and Lucha Libre masks that are made and put together. So what if those things imbue the wear powers as well? And so suddenly you start sort of bridging the world between or blending the world sort of between like Lucha Libre and superhero together. You know, as you put on these different types of masks, you know, there's a mythology behind it. You know, in our show, there's a 12 masks. Um, you know, some of them are technicos, some of them are rudos. Uh, so they're superpowered heroes, superpowered villains, essentially. And they're, it's a, like a Lucha libre mask that is happening on a cosmic proportion playing across the globe. And it happens to intersect in Los Angeles.
1: 18 plus
0: so cool when i went down to mexico a bunch of years ago you know you walk around everywhere you go they're selling masks you know what I mean? yes. like the wrestling mask so i don't know if you guys are familiar but la parka was a famous yep. uh, was a famous lucha libre star so i got his mask my wife's like oh, what are you nuts what are you crazy but i was like this is awesome like you know you go to a foreign country and yeah. you get you know uprooted all this wrestling stuff to me it was awesome it's so cool i was like man Mill no maskers mask, no mask? it's just so cool that their masks are everywhere there i mean you yeah. want to go to the bar there's a mask i mean just crazy yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Well, it's Some, a
4: part of their culture, you know yeah. I mean? Much more so. You don't know I mean from ancient times, you know what I mean? It's just like, a, you know, just, it just is.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I think cultures that have, you know, history ro- rooted in masks really embrace lucha libre wrestling. Like Japan, for instance. It's very, very popular in Japan. And Japan also has a really strong mask culture, you know, like with Kabuki Theater and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, just with ancient, ancient peoples there. And so I think there's, they see that power and they see the coolness and like putting on, becoming a different person and the identity of it and sort and of, the magic of and the magic
0: of it. Yeah. The
4: transformation that happens when you put the mask on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I know Lavi, you're chomping at the bit. You got a bunch of questions. So Lavi.
2: A hundred percent. So before getting into the wrestling side of thing, um, first, I just wanted to express that this was a family show. Um, my daughter is 12. My son is uh eight and um they all like the show at first at first my daughter would would use it as a distraction before going to sleep she would watch whatever and then right before she went to sleep she's like daddy do you want to watch this show and she knew she could get me in that way but then they found then they found their rhythm and then they they just um uh what what do you call that like binge watched it and uh my son was was upset you know that it ended on a a cliffhanger so um Thank you for for that. As are we. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, before getting to the wrestling aspect as well, something that really struck me was two portions. I think from from the mom, I mean, everyone was very genuine in the show, but from the mom, there's two scenes. And I was curious if it came from either of your lives. Mm. One was talking about um, that – They wanted to have a sleepover, and they said, you know, we don't do that. You know, we don't have sleepovers that aren't at our grandparents. And the second was the disappointment in the son wanting a career that was non-traditional. So was that sort of from your research? It felt more real like that, like something that you might have experienced yourselves.
3: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say uh, it was definitely real. Uh, We have a writer's room, so there's writers that we work with, and half the writers are Hispanic, um, half of them are women. And, you know, we talk a lot of just about like real life things because we want the show to be very relatable and to also really speak to the lives of like kids, you know, who are growing up. And something that came up that um, I was surprised by <laughs> is that, uh, you know, in um, a lot of Mexican families, uh, they don't kids are not allowed to go to sleepovers, especially the girls. Like for boys, it's a little more lax. Like, oh yeah, you're a boy, you can go to sleepover. But for a girl, you can't. And like for female writers in our room, they were like, yeah, I was never allowed to go to a sleepover's house unless it was at my aunt's or at a cousin's. You know, but like friends, like I was like the kid who was missing from the sleepovers. I'm like, oh, this is really interesting because that seems like something that you can really mind, especially for a coming of age story.
4: It was really pervasive, actually. You know I mean? All the women actually, in uh, when the sleepover thing came up, had a lot of that experience and they weren't all necessarily Mexican per se. They're all Latin. And they're just, it was like, Whoa, what is going on here? Why is this such a thing? And there are different attitudes. You know what I mean? Like some just, uh, it it was like either safety or just something that was just, just not a part of their culture. It's something that the mothers never did. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so the daughters aren't going to do it. You know what I mean? And some of them were just like, they didn't want to impose on other families. It's just like, why? It's just like, you know, what I mean, and, you know, it's they take their, you know, child rearing very responsibly. It's like, why should I put that burden on someone else? It's like, we have our own food. I can feed my child. You know what I mean? There's so many things that were tied up into it. And so um, we were like, oh, we have to we have to do an episode about that. I thought that was because it was so it touched a nerve.
3: Yes. And for the son, Tiago, um, you know, for that, that was sort of drawn from our, our own lives. Uh, and also a lies from a lot of the other writers, too. You know, when you choose to walk an artistic path or become like a writer or an artist, or in his case, he wanted to become a designer, a fashion designer. Um, and you have parents who, you know, his mother is an immigrant, you know, on the show. You know, the dad is a nurse. You know, the mom's a principal. She worked her way up to become a principal. You know, they have a lot of dreams for you. And like an artistic life is not one of them. Um, And it's sort of, you know, in my own family, I think it was really hard. It was very hard for my uh, parents to kind of wrap their heads around. Um, I thought my dad would actually object the most to it. Um, But it turned out the person who uh, objected the most was my mother, who I'm actually closer to, Uh, you know, and my father was the one who sort of came around the quickest. And he was like, you know what? I came to this country and I wanted to pursue my dreams. My son should pursue his dreams. And my mom is really concerned about the safety and the stability of it. And she was very resistant to it, you know, and that sort of plays out a bit in the show too. I think those sort of parallels, because the the father is someone who sort of comes around to it sooner than the mother. And she ultimately has a lot of journey. We're able to play it over several episodes, sort of his arc and his own discovery, because it's something that he, you know, is not celebrated for because he's this kid who's good at all this stuff, right. He's good at sports. He's good at school. He's good on the debate team. Um, But here's the one thing that he hasn't been celebrated for that he's really passionate about.
4: I think also, you know, as show runners and show creators, you know, there's a lot of responsibility for what you put out there in the world. And so from a socioeconomic level, we wanted to be aspirational, not just, you know, about like to show that, um, you know, that higher education is open and it is important you know what I mean? And there are definitely, uh, you know, in the Latin communities, it's like sometimes there is a resistance to kind of that higher education. And then also about, I mean, but fundamentally, it was really about dreams. You know what I mean? And so it's like, this is a Disney show. You want people to, you know what I mean, aspire and achieve their dreams and kind of be, I mean, just even allowing yourself to think it even mm-hmm. for a moment, you know what I mean, is is a liberating thing. And I think it's important, you know what I mean? Regardless of what we end up doing with our lives, you know what I mean? Of like what choices we make, you mean for out of practicality or whatever, but it's just important to be, to have that open if people aspire to
3: that. Yeah. And to have parents who wanted their kids to go to college and not feel bad like, about yeah. having a yeah. dream. You know what yeah. I
4: mean? It's just like, yeah. So that's, that's an important consideration that, 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 you know, we thought about as we put something out in
2: the world. Yeah, no, I love it. And what's interesting that I found is that the first person to celebrate it is often the person that's like most resistant. So I'm sure when the press release came out about Disney, you know, whatever your first projects were, that that those people are very happy for you. So to sound cool, I'm going to name drop... Um, we had on here a few weeks ago, Dorian Roldan, who runs Lucha Libre AAA. Cool. Um, so in in asking him about the series, certainly he was familiar with it and a little bit of its life cycle. But he said that even though they have... Uh, uh, Marvel series where the characters dress up like Marvel characters and there was something dropped in Latin America, um, a short series that the two worlds never met because they were separate divisions. Was there a point where it was considered like outreach to AAA, EMLL, or maybe even Rey Mysterio Jr. through WWE to like get more involvement or post um, Blue Demon Jr. It was sort of like, let's just do this in-house on our own.
3: You know, that's a really good question. I feel like that might be a bit above our pay grade because uh, it happens at the corporate level. You know what I mean? Uh, like from our, from our point of view, like we would love to get more <laughs> involvement, you know, with Lucha uh, Libre A, and Ray Mysterio Jr. I mean, that'd be amazing, you know, or to have him on the show or whatever. Um, it's interesting because I think with uh, first season shows, typically it's, hard to get guests like huge guest stars on your show right they want to know what it is first before you can start booking them and you know there's uh this interesting thing because you know lucha or luchar means to struggle right and this show in the making of the show is like a huge struggle like we did it during covid during the pandemic there's all these shutdowns there's a hurricane that hit we shot it in new orleans which doubled for la i uh, do the tax credits um and so those sort of things, you know, were, th- uh, were ideas that we definitely talked about with the marketing and promotional team um, at Disney, uh, but I don't know that they were pursued very far.
4: It's also something that Disney is not necessarily, I think, you know, as familiar with. You know what I mean? It's not their, um, it's not really their domain in, in, a, in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, they, it's not like they're, Disney's really good at partnering within itself. Like Disney is the big, you know, 800 pound gorilla. Right. And I don't know that they necessarily seek partnerships outside of things that they own.
4: I think it's if also, this sense. is also a thing about, you know, pushing in into more, you know, Latin themed content. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Disney is not, that's not their core, you know, concern, you know what I mean? At um, traditionally, right. you know what I mean? But they do understand, you know what I mean? That, you know, the way uh, the demographics are, there's just like more and more, you know, Latino kids, you know what I mean? In the United States. And so we want to create content for, for them, you know, right. I mean, that they can relate to.
3: And I think that maybe speaks to a larger issue within Hollywood in general. Um, and if this is wildly off topic, I'm happy to dial it back, but you know, I think, uh, you know, there's been several uh, sort of Latino shows that have, that have come out. Uh, most of them end up being one season shows or very you know, short, it's like two short seasons or something like that. Um, and I think there was an appetite in Hollywood without actually understanding how to reach out to the audience necessarily, or supporting the shows completely with marketing or a big marketing push. You know, um, in addition to Ultraviolet, Black Scorpion, I mean, Gordita Chronicles, Centified, you know, um, what was the spinoff of on my block called? Like Fremont or *Free Something*? you know, that jar was on, um, you know, and they uh, they're all like one season shows. And I think that just keeps on happening you know, within the Hollywood system. Um, and these shows don't find an audience unless you push it and market it. And I think there's this appetite to make it, but then maybe not an appetite to spend on the marketing.
1: Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? they are also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, um,
2: in speaking to Dorian Roldan, a, a lot of the discussion has been, and this is actually, um, from his uncle starting the company 30 years ago there's always yeah. been success in mexico but coming to the u.s it's like touch and go there's been certain points where it's it's hit well and other points where it's it hasn't hit very well at all so they're they're always looking for that so as uh, people who have sort of found the right rhythm i feel like in terms of lucha libre but not being in the wrestling business if dorian were to call you today and said uh can you consult with me? Give me some advice. How do we break into the American market in a way that would be meaningful? What would you do, or what would you say?
3: Oh, that's a really good question.
2: I actually think you know. I mean, it's interesting.
4: I, I was I, I was kind of prepared for that question a little bit. You know, I, I kind of there is a bubbling awareness. You know, what I mean, of lucha libre, and especially from the graphics of it. You know, what I mean, it's on products. You mean I see it on beers? I see it on tequila. I see it on you know. I Mean they are costumes that that people you know I mean enjoy putting on. But it's still at this kind of early stage. If you think of like say something like anime, thirty years ago, it was like a you know you have a really um, intense fan base, and there's like an underground element. There's like you know there's performances. There's also right now a really tremendous exhibit about lucha. In uh, San Diego, the the modern uh, you know museum in uh, modern art in San Diego, and which I have to go see, and it's like, it, you know, what I mean, it's 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 still in its kind of like early phases, and so until they become, and you know, anime is one of those things that has like incrementally been, um, uh, you know, grown like in American culture, and so for Lucha to do that, you know. It is one, you have to keep at it. And two, it is like, you know, you're looking for what is that explosive thing? What is that explosive thing that really connects? And um, and I guess that's the equation. It's just like, you know, what can we do, you know, that, to make that specifically? I think, you know, obviously the wrestling angle, not angle, but it's like, you know, in WWE, it's just like that has a built-in audience. And so it's like, as that grows, and then it's supported in other areas in, in, in culture. There's also animated shows I mean, that have like your more Lucha Libre kind of um, concepts. I mean, I've seen numerous development. I haven't seen the shows.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Ray Mysterio Jr. has done a lot for Lucha Libre and just the awareness of it. But to Eric's point, you know, I feel like in order to grow something like this, you almost have to do kind of what we did with, um, with sort of a family show. Like you need a family audience. You need kids to be buying into it young and to kind of help grow it and become fans of it. Like, a lot of the audience that has seen Ultraviolet Black Scorpion, interestingly, aren't even that familiar with Lucha Libre. Like, this is the first they're learning about it. Like, uh, just as a personal anecdote, like, my nieces and nephew love the show, uh, but they didn't know anything about it, right? And then as a result of it, they and their friends are learning more about Lucha Libre.
4: That's why we had in the pilot that we were teaching technicos and rudos. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're trying to inculcate you know what i mean like our audience to what it is you know what i mean and obviously the superhero angle you know what i mean is is a uh something that they could connect with
3: yes so it gives you like a good entry point it's weird it's almost like anime is a very good example of it because it was considered very very niche uh very 30 years ago yeah. 30 years ago it was something that people were like trying to get bootlegs of like it was very hard to see and now it's like the fastest growing on any street uh, uh I'm sorry, fast streaming any, platform yeah they have linear on any streaming platform so that's like a huge thing i feel like it's a little bit like this doesn't sound crazy like ninjas in the 80s right like ninja like people were kind of where martial arts martial arts was cool in the 70s maybe early 80s and then there's like those movies that came with the three ninjas movies i don't know if you remember those you know um and kids love them and as a result, the ninja stuff really took off. And there's like these adult ninja movies and all this because the kids got older. Like they wanted to watch more sophisticated ninja stuff. And so it kind of grows. And suddenly it's like people dress up as ninjas. It's like it's just everywhere.
4: And I, like, think, I think in some ways that also it's like you have to follow the audience. So now, yeah. you know, the audience is like, whatever young, your kids are 12 and 8 and stuff yeah. like that. So if we can get another show, if there can be another show, you know I mean? Either, and you know, at that same age or, you know, when they're like 15, 16. Do you mean like you grow with the, with the, uh, as the audience grows, that's basically what happened with anime. It's just like, you know, we're all kids, you know what I mean? It's 17, 18, it's like doing those first, you know, videos and, uh, you know, like the bootleg videos. And then, you know, 30 years later, it's like you have 30 years of track record, you know what I mean? That people, you know,
2: can follow. Awesome. So it sounds like uh, Lucha needs its own Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, that's another great example.
3: Yes, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but the yes, with the ninja po- proliferation. Yeah, you need some other, like a next, a next thing. Like it has to keep building, right? This can't be the only
1: iteration. Lucha you have show. Have, yeah, you, have,
4: you need another iteration. You don't need
0: yes. that. Yeah. We're all for it. Let me turn it over to John. <laughs> So, Leo, Eric, where can everybody find the show? Find you guys' social media, everything. Give us, uh, give us the deets.
3: Oh, uh, well, the show is currently streaming on Disney Plus. Uh, you have to do a little search for it. Ultraviolet and Black Scorpion. Um, it's a show. It's a great show for like the entire family. So uh, people of all ages can watch it. Uh, there's a lot of humor. There's heart um there's sort of a point to each episode we're as writers we always write very thematically so everything's about something it's not just frivolous um it's been uh you know we have a cultural consultant on the show as well and uh she has been so wildly supportive and amazing she's the same cultural consultant who uh consulted on um coco uh and uh other projects and stuff for disney um and she's just like it is you know, it not only just Trump is the values of just Mexican culture, but also just trumpets like the values of just like having like good family, you know, uh, things, you know, as well, which, um, which she was very, very proud of to work on, which I thought was a very sweet note that she sent us. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my handles, is that what you want? My handles? Sure, yeah. Yeah, on Twitter, it's at Leo Chu, L E O C H U 88. And on Instagram, it's at Leo underscore Choo 88. Um, And I put the underscore in there because somebody else took my Twitter handle to the Instagram.
4: And I'm at Planet Eric on Twitter as well as Instagram. And uh, yeah. 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 And LinkedIn.
3: Yeah. And you can find other shows that we worked on as well. I mean, they're on our Twitter handles and stuff. But, uh, you know, we started off um, working in anime. So Afro Samurai is a show which is probably more martial arts than wrestling. I don't think there's any wrestling in it, in fact, that I think about. Um, And we did Batman Ninja, was just definitely more superhero. Um, And then uh, we actually worked on our uh, coming-of-age thing, which sort of got us to be known for coming-of-age stories, especially with girls, called Alexa and Katie. It was on Netflix. It's a comedy about a girl who gets cancer (laughs) and, (laughs) and her best friend and family who helps her through it. So it's handled with a lot of humor and
0: care. Great stuff, Leo and Eric. Thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the business of, of the business. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks oh, so thank much, you, gentlemen. Really thank really you. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Take care. All the best. All thank right. you, guys. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. Well. Bye. All right, Lavi, Getting into uh, a little bit of the news, right? I mean, what what is going on? As a uh, we'll, we'll wait uh, for for our next guest. But what's going on out there? Any anything pressing? Anything important out there, news wise?
2: So one of the notable things, especially like in terms of the promotions that we really watch week to week is uh, I think GCW is going to have a big, big summer. Um, it's it's already starting, as we talked about, uh, my escapades in Brooklyn. Um, but, you know, I'm looking week to week and Ohio looked kind of weak, W-E-A-K, and then it picked up smaller venue. But Vegas, um, in your town, uh, Atlantic City, um, really uh, curious news as as their sort of staple uh, venue or their portion of the venue the carousel room in uh, the showboat is is going to become an actual carousel room or or something like that so now they're in an annex that what I could find online it looks like I I don't want to misrepresent it almost looks like a parking garage it's like a big space that would be fine for like um, like a comic convention or uh, something like that. But it looked like there was a lot of pillars there. So I'm not sure what the sight lines would be as they go um, right. six rows deep and then people uh, people standing there as well. So hopefully that doesn't slow their momentum. But um, from, from Vegas to L.A., um, you know, things are really picking up there as we watch sort of like the, the ebbs and flows of a promotion like that.
0: Interesting though, is that a different venue for them or just is the venue changing or is the physical venue actually going under construction?
2: Yeah. So it seems like they were told maybe I'm not sure the timeline, but that the carousel room was no longer available. Remember last summer, um, My thought was that since Nick Gage was having this like defense or retire thing that they decided to go outside just to accommodate people, but they just needed the space for whatever reason, it was double booked. But here, um, you know, every week I see in my Google (laughs) news feeds, like um, the showboat is doing like indoor uh, motor racing and water parks and whatever. So they're they're really on the upswing. So uh, the live events, especially like the combat sports and wrestling, they're shifting that around. Um, So GCW will still be in that venue. So it'll be interesting to see like if now that they have more time, they're going to shift the end of the summer uh, events to probably not. But after that, if there's like a a space that works for them better in Atlantic city or just this venue, um, you know, is the best fit.
0: I know it's not just Atlantic city, but it feels like they're always doing some sort of construction down there or something is always going on uh, in Atlantic city for whatever reason. And I just always feel like something's always going on down there.
2: Yeah, I saw that um, a hotel actually paid to uh, bring in some sand. Their federal government would pay for it, but they didn't want to wait like the several months. They're like, hey, you know, it's it's the high season. Um, We're selling uh, hotel rooms, so uh, we don't want to be uh, too far from, uh, you know, we're we're promising people like ocean views, but they need a beach to go to. So they're actually uh, importing that in.
0: So interesting, like when you just look at just Atlantic City, like it just has so much stuff going on. But then that bambees Boozle thing got canceled. So whenever something disappears, I don't know, something else kind of, kind of comes into play to me. Anyway, yeah, it always to- seems like that. It's like always coming and going in at Atlantic City.
2: To me, Boardwalk Call, like sort of like always has that magical feel. I don't know if you were there, John. Remember when Frank Mir fought uh, Tank Abbott? It was like UFC 41 it was not um, there, but I,
0: I know that fight very well, yes. Yeah, yeah,
2: 41 or 42, and then I used to go um, to the boxing matches, uh, especially when I was single. <laughs> Once I took it like Saturday night, went to the boxing, and then took the bus back to the Port Authority at like 3 a.m., which was a little crazy at the time, but I was younger and uh, having a good time.
0: Wow, big fan, even all the way back then. Damn, that's got to be what, oh, a oh, one-ish? I mean, that's that's a while ago.
2: Yeah, so there was that, with the UFC fight, it was, uh, there was, like, that first, like, Zufa fight where it was, like, seemed like they had something to go on, like, Shamrock, Ortiz, and then they had, like, in 41, they had um, something in Miami that didn't draw very well, and then the next one was Atlantic City. Frank, um, Tank Abbott fans filled up Boardwalk Hall, which is interesting, Um, but that's also when Tim Sylvia... Um, Won the uh, world title quick from um, Rico Rodriguez.
0: All right, Lavi, let's hit the plugs. You follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com.
2: Follow me on Twitter, Lavi Marg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Check out my long-form articles on lioncubjobsearch.com. And check out our LinkedIn group, a unique group, the business of the business, the pro wrestling industry.
0: Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you right back here next week for a little business of the business. We'll see you next week, folks. brother three two one happy new year from our friends over at manscaped the ball has officially dropped but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023. Whether you had a New Year's kiss or not, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have you covered for your much-needed resolution of bringing sexy back. Join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use the promo code BIZ, B-I-Z, for 20% off and free shipping. Let us have a toast for a new year, new you, and a new you with no pews. If you really want to make 2023 the year to remember, make sure to try out Manscapes wet goods as well. This includes the ultra-premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, and body deodorant. These products are absolute perfect for follow-up after your New Year's gym sessions. Cheers to new balls in 2023. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Biz at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code biz, B-I-Z. Time to feel sexy and free this 2023 with Manscaped.